Travel Growth Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Travel Growth Podcast. I'm Tom Brooklyn, founder of SEO Travel, and this is where I speak to successful travel business leaders and dig into the successes, challenges, and learnings from their experiences over the years. So you, the listener, can take away actionable advice to enhance your own businesses and maybe even lives too. My guest today is Matthijs Kai. Matthijs is the CEO of With Locals, a platform which has the mission of connecting people with cultures by breaking down barriers between travellers and locals worldwide. They do this by connecting travellers with specialist local guides in locations around the world who may not ordinarily class themselves as tour guides. Matthijs has a fascinating background working in startups and he's had loads of incredibly helpful insight into growing businesses, working with investors and building fantastic teams from the things that he's learned working in and growing many businesses over the years. He's also extremely eloquent and I think he actually speaks better English than me despite it not being his native tongue. We delve into all the kinds of topics in this conversation which any travel businesses would find hugely useful. And Matthijs brings lots to the table on topics from growing an effective team to the impact of values and culture on your business's growth and potential. He actually really surprised me as whilst I knew he had lots of experience before we spoke, he actually just kept coming up with more and more value bombs that I could hardly barely keep up with. I found this one hugely enlightening and I'm sure you will too. So please enjoy me talking to Matthijs Kai. Matthijs, hello, welcome to the show. Hey Tom, thanks for uh, having me. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, really good. Really excited to have you on. Looking forward Same to here. talking to Same you. Same here. Yeah, I think there's lots of lots of interesting topics we can get into with with your experience, uh, both with with locals and then and then previous things that you've done. So, so I'm looking forward to getting into it. Same here. Have you so, uh, considered to, to do this uh, on Clubhouse, uh, Tom? Because that seems to be uh, the rates these days. <laughs> this is it. All I hear about is Clubhouse. It kind of, I, I actually I got signed up to Clubhouse a few weeks ago, uh, but I haven't delved into it yet. I, I've, like, I've had a few potted conversations with people who are kind Same of here. in part excited about it. Some people are just sort of dismissing it as you know, another thing to be distracted by. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, and you lose your uh, Android audience straight away. So yeah, that's exactly. One downside. Exactly. Yeah. Um, hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll keep it old school for now and just have some nice, nice audio Sounds good. Let's do it. on YouTube or Vimeo. Um, I want to start just kind of going back to the beginning, really. So if when you were a young, a young boy growing up, what did you want to be when you grew up? Um, everything, everything, I guess. Um, so I never had this like one thing that some people want to be a firefighter or a professional, uh, football player. Uh, but I'm just really curious and I'm interested in everything. So I guess that also translated into my studies. I started out with uh, computer science, um, and the topic, I like it very much, but then the course, um, I think it was a little bit too narrow-minded um, and also the honest answer maybe also a little bit too difficult for me um, so I decided to switch to something else which is uh, called innovation sciences so it's still a technical studies okay um, so you learn 
a lot about many things, but you are never a real specialist. So you're not a great computer scientist or a programmer. You're also not really, really good in physics or electrical engineering, but you know enough from a lot of topics um, at some day, hopefully to bring that all together. So you can be the bridge between business, the technical world. Um, yeah. And I guess that uh, helped me quite a lot. Yeah, inter it, knowing your story, that's so interesting. How that's yeah, kind of lined up with what you've what you've you've got on and done. So, were you? Did you have a view of like, I want, I've got, I've got to be an entrepreneur, or I'm going to start a business, or something like that? Did you have that in your head? Because I guess keeping that broad approach to begin with fits that mold quite quite well. Yeah, agree. I, it was not always in my head, so I was always doing stuff like little side projects, trying to, to just earn some money. Um, but I guess if I could do it all over again, it would have been smart to tap into that at an earlier age. Um, but I guess if you compare, let's say, Europe in general to the US, I think that's something that we sometimes still miss, that entrepreneurial culture. Uh, and in this case, there are a lot of entrepreneurs in Europe, of course. And eventually, I also turned out to be an entrepreneur. Uh, but I think just taking the risk, go for it. And even if you fail, you learn from it and you can start something else. Um, I think if I would have met somebody at, I don't know, the age of 18, who would have said, hey, you need to do something for yourself. You can also do that during your studies. Um, that would have been nice. Um, but then, yeah, what happened is I started working for a startup. Also during my studies, uh, that turned into a full-time job. Um, and then, of course, at some point, you still have to finish your thesis. Luckily, I managed to do that. Um, and then from there, yeah, you, you get into that vibe. You see how great it is to work in a startup, uh, the culture, the freedom to do new things. Um, yeah, and then you have this buck. And then you so for it. when you were going through that experience at, uh, and studying and things, Matthias, did you, did you know kind of, being an entrepreneur was a thing did you was that did you kind of have that as an option in your mind that, that it might be something that you do yeah not really as like this is my plan for the future it has to be entrepreneurship but i guess in my family my granddad was an entrepreneur uh, he had his shop was a painter uh, a grocery uh, so they ran uh, both stores together um so to some extent, it runs in the family, but I never really thought like, yeah, this could also be my future. And what is entrepreneurship, right? So in his case, it was having a store, having a team of painters. Um, but I guess there's so many levels when it comes to entrepreneurship. And sometimes it's just as simple as having a good idea. You start and you see what comes out of it. And yeah, I think so many times I thought like, uh, I really need to have this rocket breakthrough ID and then we can really be serious about it but I guess in reality it can be something simple if you solve a problem that you are facing yourself um, and you find other people that have the same problem that's where it starts yeah yeah and it can it, you know can just be a case of doing something better that other people you know that absolutely exist that other people yeah. are doing and yeah it's it's a you know it's a simple case of doing that the, so you mentioned you then kind of moved into the, the startup world. Tell us, tell us about that first place that you went and worked. So that was a marketing agency. Um, and how that started was um, 
The simple version is there was another marketing agency and they were really good at what they were doing, but they only worked for big brands and they said, if you want to work with us, you need to give us your entire marketing budget because that's the way we work. We cannot be dependent on other companies. We want to make sure that we have full control. And it was a really strong pitch and they also delivered. But of course, that also meant that they said no to a lot of customers, customers who, customers who said, guys, I have this search engine marketing campaign, uh, but that's it. Uh, we're doing a lot of other stuff, but we're doing that in-house or with another vendor. Um, so then we had this idea, what if we focus on these customers? Because they still have a good amount of money to spend. So let's say if the other agency was like this uh, big cruise ship, we said we can maybe be the speedboat, very flexible. Um, and that's a nice story. Of course, it also means that you have to accept that you bring in clients, but then at some point you might also lose them because yeah, that's the other side of flexibility. Um, but that turned out to, yeah, that, that worked really, really well. Uh, and I think that's the nice thing about the agency model. So usually you take a cut of the media spend, um, a certain percentage, so that's money that is coming in, uh, and then you bill the hours that you are working for a client. Um, so if you do that well and you have enough customers coming in, um, you can turn that into a profitable business relatively quickly. Um, but it's not necessarily a scalable model because every new customer, big or small, probably you need more people. So at some point it also felt like, yes, we landed this large customer, but then you could already see a minivan with five or six people uh, turning up the next day in terms of new people. And yeah, yeah that's also a challenge because a team of five or 10, that's that's doable and you might have some struggles, but you all know each other really well. But then with 25, you have all these new issues that you, at least speaking for myself, that you never had before and also stuff that you have to learn. Like there are so many things that you can get from a book, but sometimes you just need to experience it before you know what it really means. And I yeah. guess you know that too, right? Yeah, absolutely. No, you're uh, you're pretty much describing our business, Matthias. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> we can delve. So let, let's delve into it more. So was that something you started? Did you start that yourself, or did you go and work at that at that business? No, I started it with somebody else. So I was one of the co-founders. Uh, we got investment from a couple of people, also to make sure that we could scale rapidly. Um, and the way we ran it is, it was a, in the beginning, a relatively small team. Um, so then you do a lot of things together and only after some time you find out, yeah, what is really the role of everybody? And you have to be a bit more formal about it. Um, and I guess the thing that I really had to learn is, um, what is your own style? Because you can copy other people. Um, like I'm not super tough on people. Uh, it's not in my character. Um, but uh, at least in that point of time, at that point in time, uh, my co-founder could be really tough sometimes, um, which was also a really valuable skill in negotiations with, with suppliers. Um, yeah. so 60%, maybe I would have said, yeah, 60%, that's pretty good. And he said, no, 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 we can bring it down to 50 or even to 40%. So that was really his forte. Um, so then you also start to wonder like, hmm, maybe I also have to be a bit more tough on these topics. Um, but I think a big learning for me was 
you also have to stay true to yourself. So what are your skills and what are you good at? And I guess building a company, also caring about uh, the team culture, how do you keep that team together? Um, those are things that are really important to me. And I think that's also where I can make a difference. Uh, but that's something that you only learn over time. You don't go into a company saying, hey, I'm the expert on all of, the, all of these topics, even today. So I have a lot more experience than when I started. Um, but I wouldn't call myself an expert. Every day you try to learn something new and you also make mistakes. And yeah, you always hope that those mistakes go away at some point, but I'm afraid yeah. that's also part of the deal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and did and how long were you kind of running the agency then? What at what point did you decide this isn't this isn't for me? You know, and how did that how did that come to an end? So that was for about three years, um, and it was really not a point of uh, this isn't for me. Well, maybe except for the scalability part, but that's that was more that feeling in the back of your head like. Mm, scaling will always be difficult with a company that is so dependent on people. Um, and around that time, um, and you also know that the whole marketing and advertising industry was really turning towards technology uh, and data. And how can we leverage all that data in such a way that you can actually get relevant insights from it? Like having data, that's not really difficult. You can have like data warehouses, you store everything in the cloud. Uh, but that doesn't always translate into insights. Um, and that was exactly the problem that we had in that agency. So we had a lot of data, but how are you going to make sure that you use all that data in a smart way and then make the right decisions on how do you spend your marketing and advertising budget? Um, so this is what I uh, alluded to in the beginning. You have this problem, which is a really complicated problem, we couldn't really find a good solution in the market, or at least not an affordable solution. So we said, well, we do have a lot of smart tech people in the team. What if we try to build something ourselves? Um, and in the beginning, we just tried it out within the agency, but quickly we realized this could have potential to be part of a new company. So. Uh, I made a good agreement with my co-founder. He would continue to run the agency. At the hey. same time, he was also involved in the new tech company. So that was really software as a service. Um, and then we launched that company, uh, of course, with the hopes that tech is scalable. So all your problems are solved. Yeah. Um, and they were not. They were not. <laughs> because I think uh, something that I completely underestimated was that we really loved technology and how technology can fix difficult problems. But it's just one side of the equation. It's also about the people who need to work with your technology. And our sales pitch in the beginning was like, uh, dear customer, we have this toolbox with extremely complex, although probably powerful tools, but pretty complex to use. Um, so tell me what your problem is, because probably we can find a relevant tool in this big toolbox. Um, and what was completely missing and what I really didn't think about for a second is what is the story here? How are we going to bring that all together? And yeah, it's, it's a cliche, but like you can have a hammer, you can have a nail, uh, you can have a drill, but which problem do you want to solve? So maybe the problem is I want to put a painting on the wall and then all these tools are just a means to an end. 
but it's yeah. not about the tools. The end result should be a painting on the wall. So we really had to find what is our painting on the wall. Um, and we also got some external help. I think that was also a really important lesson. So try to reach out to people who have done that before, who might be able to help you with a different perspective. And in our case, we always said, we are a lot of things, that toolbox, but one thing we are not is a data management platform because that was the, the common name for a platform <clears throat> that was similar to what we've built. But for us, it translated into outdated, old school technology uh, that people charge too much for. Uh, and this advisor, he said, well, why wouldn't you put yourself in that box? Uh, just say you are a data management platform and then explain why you are different and how you are adding value compared to all those competitors. And in the beginning, you are still a little bit reluctant and you're like, yeah, maybe we'll think about it. Yeah. But of course, he was right. And yeah, this, this really sounds like this uh, a success story, but it was really like I'm, like I'm telling it right now. The minute we made that decision and we went out to customers and we said, hey, we have this um, data management platform, but it's like the new type of data management platform. We are going to solve your problems. We can do it for 80% of the cost of many of your competitors. We are faster. We're able to bring in more channels. Um, and suddenly we could charge like 5,000 euros a month for a license instead of 500. So. Wow. We were really proud of all those difficult tools, but in the end, we had to bring it together and say, we have this toolbox, but it's all integrated. We take care of uh, importing all the data, translating that into insights, visualizations, uh, and in the end, that will help you to spend your money in a smarter way. Nice, nice. And you, you, you went on to, to sell that business to a bigger, a bigger company, is that, is that right? How did that, how did that happen? How did that come about? Yeah, so um, we were uh, also busy with fundraising at the moment um, and we had some good conversations. But then suddenly we had a couple of conversations with those investment banks that can help with a regular venture capital transaction. But usually they also have contacts uh, with bigger corporates. And a couple of times we got a request like, um, would you be interested to talk about a partnership? Uh, and that's always how it starts, right? So you have a cup of coffee and uh, that's the, the really generic starting point, a partnership. And in meeting number two, it's called a strategic partnership. Uh, and in meeting number three, maybe we can also explore other opportunities. Yeah. And it's for you to fill in what does it mean. So in the end, we figured it out. Maybe they want us to be part of this bigger company. Um, and... Uh, in this case, we found out that we could really be the missing piece of the puzzle because uh, this company, they were pretty strong when it comes to email marketing. Um, so a lot of those more direct communication channels. And we were really strong on the advertising side where you usually don't know your customers or your visitors. You show them a banner ad, for instance, but I don't know that it's you, Tom, or somebody else. But yeah. I do know a lot about you, which is, of course, today also a big concern, rightfully so. Uh, but back then we had all this data and we found ways to connect it to the direct communication channels. Um, and yeah, of course, your team is important. That's also always important. Your technology is important. 
but something that I under underestimated. For that company, it's also important to present a really good story to their shareholders, to their investors. And I guess with us being the missing piece of the puzzle, it all came together. Um, and yeah, I think that could have been a good end of the story. So of course, yeah, the acquisition, uh, we did that. That was a good deal. Otherwise, we wouldn't do it. Uh, but then you also start a new journey with a lot of expectations like, hey, we are this company that can actually bring everything together. Um, and then you find out that uh, corporate life is quite different from a startup life. Um, and that's something I completely underestimated. It's like yeah. people. So I was genuinely really uh, proud of what we built, not just because it was, of course, it feels like your baby. Uh, but it was really good um, and it uh, ran in a very efficient way, uh, all cloud-based, so we didn't have to worry about maintenance. Um, but then this company, they uh, were a big fan of um, big data centers where they would own the equipment. Uh, so the first question was like, how can we translate your platform and bring it into our data center? And yeah, I remember that really felt like a nightmare because it's so backwards. It's all in the clouds. You can yeah. scale really fast. And now we are going back to a data center that is being managed by people who would like to invite their colleagues on a Friday afternoon to give a tour of the data center only to right. trip over a wire and bring some servers <laughs> offline. Yeah, that's that really happened. So that's, <laughs> yeah, that was not good. So that's one. And number two that are underestimated is the, the political side of things. It's a big company. So I remember my boss uh, who would like to become the new CEO. Uh, the sales guy only cared about the bonus. Uh, so yeah, at some point it really feels dysfunctional. So you are supposed to work together as a team with one common goal. But sometimes the company is so big that, yeah, a lot of people have different interests and then it's also hard to to make a difference so we really try to make it work uh, to set up those integrations and every time i felt like we can do this in a week we discovered okay maybe theoretically yes you can do it in a week but with all the stuff that comes with it all the requirements like mm -hmm. internal training documentation um, customer communication also important topics by the way stuff that we yeah. just didn't think about but one week turned into one month turned into six months and then it becomes really difficult to keep that competitive advantage so what so you kind of obviously i guess you've got kind of startup blood in your veins where like you say you then go into that bigger organization and it's a totally different animal in in your experience of those two things like what would you say are the key positives of being a you know being a smaller business versus being a a bigger business and I guess like the drawbacks as well like where where do you pull on now when you're kind of thinking because obviously with locals is is growing and you know it becomes a you know it becomes more people and and you you kind of you almost at some point as a startup you risk becoming that bigger you know that bigger business that you know yep. growth is always the goal isn't it so how how do you kind of balance those two things of getting all the benefits of the small business and kind of building that into something as it grows? Yeah, good question. So, of course, all the usual stuff, small company means you can be, it's not always the case, but you can be 
more agile. Um, it's also easier to make sure that everybody understands this is really the reason why we are building this company because you can come up with really complex strategies um, but if nobody understands the why like why are we building this company it's not going to uh, make a difference that strategy so i think that is super important and the bigger you get and especially in a big corporate the easier it is for people to forget about that why element and I think, yeah, maybe one last example from uh, the corporate company. Um, a lot of company, a lot of people really treated the company like kind of ATM. Um, so you go to these nice conferences, uh, you book a nice flight, you book a nice hotel, and everybody knew all the tricks how to max out the available rates. Uh, so business class was not always possible, but if you book economy class at the very last day, you still get a lot of miles. Um, but then if you ask people, hey, would you also do that if you have to pay this from your own pocket? Of course, nobody would no. do that. And I guess that's also a difference between a small company that you run with people who maybe put their own money in it and who really feel like, yeah, we have to do this together. So we also have to make smart decisions. And I should not always make a decision that is only in my interest. Um, but you're right. If you start to scale, there's more that... Uh, you have to think about and i think what is really hard about going from a small team from let's say five people to to 50 people at some point you need to have structure and you need to have some processes in place and those processes should not be there just to slow you down or to make things really formal but without processes it also becomes difficult for the employees because if you cannot tell them this is your role and this is how you can grow in that role and what it means for you financially, for instance. Um, those are really valid questions. And in the beginning, you can just do it ad hoc, like, hey, great year, great performance. We're going to give you a race. But with 50 people, yeah, it should not be arbitrary. You should think about it. Uh, you should make sure that there is fair compensation if you have two different people in the same role. Yeah, if they have a really different salary, that's hard to explain, right? So at some point you need to fix that. And that's across yeah, all levels in the company, management, um, HR, um, external partners you work with. Uh, sometimes they also require, well, let's say a bit more professional attitudes. Um, and that's stuff that you have to learn. Um, and yeah, I guess you only learn that by making a lot of mistakes at the same time. <laughs> and, and, so you've, you've kind of touched on it already a few times of that, that learning process. So when you've, you've clearly over the years picked up, you know, a lot of knowledge and experience through this process, is there, is there anything you've done to help that process along? Do you have any particular kind of things, you know, reading books, you know, listening to podcasts, I don't know, do, doing whatever something else that kind of has given you the information that you've then applied to your own scenario or have you literally just done it on a whim and worked it out kind of as you went along? No, all of that. I think podcasts, books, uh, and not, I guess, it's not like you read a book and then suddenly you have the answers to uh, all the issues you're dealing with. For me, it's more like you try to get as much input as possible um, so podcasts, books, super relevant, blog articles, um, 
platforms like Quora.com, for instance, where you can ask questions or read the answers from other people. Uh, but also talking to other people. I think that's something that I think if I could only pick one thing, that would be it. So try to talk to people also from different industries um, that can be really, really relevant. So in my case, when I joined with Locals, so the company was already there for a couple of years. Uh, I know the founders quite well. Uh, and then I was still uh, working for that corporate. Um, they just landed their first um, big investment. And they said, hey, we are looking for a new CEO. Would you be interested? Um, and then, yeah, same story. You talk a little bit about it, have a cup of coffee. But in five seconds, I already knew the answer because yeah, this yeah. is what I really like to do. It's a startup moving towards scale up. Uh, but that was also a brand new market for me. And that's, that's hard because, yeah, everybody likes to travel, but it doesn't mean that you also know a lot about travel. So yeah. then you have to read about it. You have to talk to people who understand this market. Also in our case, like we are a company in the travel market, but technology also plays an important role. So lots of different angles. So back to your question, talking to people with um, expertise in this area, um, that has been really, really helpful. Also, especially when you deal with a difficult issue, like maybe it's about HR, and then you talk to somebody who has had that issue before and who can tell you, hey, if this is the case, um, step back a little bit, uh, try to understand the full picture, and then go in and bring all stakeholders to the table. Because yeah, at some point, uh, you there's a risk that you become the troubleshooter. So people say, hey, this is not working. You have to help me. And then somebody else, somebody else says, you also have to help me because I'm also in this situation and I have yeah. a different story. Um, so then you learn that yeah, you need to bring people together. And then the next step is, can you find a way for the entire company to solve that in a more structural way? Whether it's uh, a feedback training to help people to give more direct and honest feedback how to be receptive to feedback, uh, how to build an open culture where people feel safe and they can ask questions. Um, and somebody, you just need somebody else who can guide you through that process. Yeah. Um, but then in the end, it's with you, right? So you, it's, yeah, it's up to you what you learn from it. And then ultimately you have to make the decisions. And, and how do you go about finding those people and, and, and then contacting them? Is it, you know, I guess, because... Uh, there's obviously lots of people out there and a lot of the time they'll get lots of emails from lots of people say so if a stranger just lands in their inbox you know you're not you're not going to get a reply how how do you have you got any tips on how to go about that um network is really important so um i guess for all the people who have had the experience to uh do any fundraising uh, a lot of investors will say hey what we can offer you is our network Sometimes that is super valuable. Sometimes it's just an argument that's maybe not so valuable. Uh, but I'm lucky that we have investors who do have a really good network, uh, which means that if you want to talk, in my case, there is this uh, very large um, hotel booking website in the Netherlands. Um, and that's a very relevant company, right? Because they're in travel. They have been able to grow super fast. Uh, they've had all kinds of issues along the way. And if you can talk to somebody who has been there all the way from the beginning, 
who understands all the issues that you are facing today, but also that you may face in the next two to three years, that's a really relevant conversation. And then sometimes an investor can help to make that bridge. I think another one is just uh, reaching out directly to people and um, just, uh, I, I would say, be direct. Don't go for a really long story. If you say, hey, I'm looking for some advice and I think your expertise could be really valuable, you send a message on LinkedIn and you're right, nine out of 10 times you might not get a response. But at the same time, many people are willing to, to share their experience. Uh, and the last one is conferences, um, which today is not really an option. But I've been waiting so many times for speakers just when they finish their presentations. The only thing you have to do is find the, uh, the back door uh, of the speaker room, for instance. And then suddenly there's the uh, CEO of TripAdvisor. Um, and you probably only have one minute to make your case. Uh, and it, of course, it's not just about meeting the CEO, but sometimes these guys have super good insights and they also have a super good network. So mm -hmm. you spend a minute of their time and they can link you to somebody else, their company or another company um, for a follow-up conversation. So yeah, I think you also have to be smart about it. Love it. Yeah, yeah. This, uh, I, I got brought up being told... Uh, Shy, shy boys getting out, and uh, so have, yeah, That's I've it, always right? been thought you've yeah. got to go and give it a go. And I think you know, to your, uh, I, I underplayed it a bit in the question, but yeah, you, it is surprising how many people do reply if you send a well-crafted kind of personal email that is concise. It, and uh, obviously, it's not going to happen with every person, but if you find a, a, a pool of ten or twenty people and you take that personalized approach, it, it is surprising how people who are seemingly out of reach will actually pay attention and, and get yep. back to you. Um, so you mentioned investment there. It sounds like through kind of a lot of your experiences and the places you've been, you've had investment. How is that something you would recommend for everyone? Uh, do you have any tips no. for going about like how, yeah, <laughs> what, what drives what drives the thought process behind that and saying, yeah, we should go and get investment and, and like what are the benefits and the, the pitfalls? So if you are able to bootstrap your company, which means uh, you uh, build a company with your own money or maybe a little bit from family and friends, but not external investors, um, I think that's a really great way to start a company and also to stay independent in the sense that um, you still have to make smart decisions, uh, but those are always your own decisions. And of course, the minute you bring in external investors, uh, they give you something that is really important and can also be really helpful to scale. But that also comes with a responsibility. And I think that's something that you need to think about really carefully. Like, am I willing to give up that freedom um, in return for a way to really accelerate your business? Because that's, of course, the other side of the story. Um, with locals would not be where we are today without those investors and without their money. Uh, and it's not just about the money, it's also about um, becoming a better company, being challenged in terms of your business decisions, um, getting access to that network, uh, follow-on investments. Um, but it's, it's not always easy because, yeah, if you start with it, you know that you're on a road to your next funding round. Uh, and then you're really happy when you land that next round. 
But uh, the day after, you know, okay, we have like 12, 18, if you're lucky, 24 months, but then we need to do it all over again. Um, unless at some point you're able to do an IPO, but that's only for the lucky few, of course. Um, so that's a dec decision. You have to think about it carefully. And, and where... I guess just looking to the future of, of with locals, then how do you see that playing out? So I know you, um, I read, you, you obviously got some investment in 20, 2019, I think you had a, yep. you had a, a, a round and is that kind of, what does that mean? How does that translate into the business? Obviously, you know, the pandemic's here and that I imagine changed plans slightly and change, yep. but, but how, how does that look when that, you know, you get that money in, it's like what what do we do now what's the where's the kind of what's the viewpoint with it for, for growth yeah i think what helps if you do fundraising you have to come up with a really solid story uh, and that's not just a story about look at our bookings uh, and our revenue of course all those metrics they will be checked and you get lots of follow-up questions but it's also about your story like what do you actually want to achieve and if you say we want to double our revenue that's nice uh, maybe you can even triple your revenue, uh, but that should not be your story. Your story is about what do you care about and where do you want to take this company and what's the end goal? And um, for some companies, uh, they might say that's world dominance. We've heard that before, but I think you need to be a little bit more specific. Um, and when you have those conversations, that also triggers you to really, really think about these topics. So... One example um, uh, from our situation was that we were always growing really, really rapidly. Um, so tripling the revenue in one year, uh, the last year doubling, um, super nice numbers. But at some point, you also have to think about uh, sustainability. Like, can you turn this into a really profitable business model? Because if there is money to spend, there are more than enough companies, including Google, that uh, happily accept your money and yes that will bring in a lot of customers but do they also come back or do you have to pay google again to get those customers um, so in our case we had to take a really detailed look at our unit economics which means you look at the single booking how much do you pay to acquire one customer uh, there are some other costs like payment costs costs for technology there's employees of course so you break it down across a couple of levels uh, and then ultimately you find out um, how much money is left from that single booking and all the revenue that came in. Um, well, if it's negative, that's not good because then you're losing money for a booking. Uh, if it's only uh, 10 cents, that's a little bit thin. Um, so we really had to think, how can we improve these unit economics? Um, and with one of those new investors, we also said, this is the thing that we are going to fix with the new money that is coming in. And we did. So we worked really hard. We improved those unit economics. Um, and then we were ready to uh, really accelerate expansion. Um, long story, but if you want to have returning customers, the first thing you need to make sure of is that you are available in as many cities as possible. If with locals is only in Barcelona, Paris and Amsterdam, it's nice. Um, but then all the people who go to New York, to Sydney, to other cities, to Bangkok, uh, we would miss out on them. So we had this plan to 
ramp up expansion in a really, really fast way. Um, and that's exactly when COVID struck. Um, and then, yeah, back to your question about your plans, then everything uh, changes because you need to look at very different scenarios. Um, we had quite a big team at the moment. Um, a lot of those people would help us with the expansion plans. But then you realize uh, expansion is not going down just a little bit. There will not be any expansion at all. We would be lucky if we can just keep the existing cities. Mm -hmm. um, so those are also tough decisions that you have to say goodbye to some really talented colleagues. Um, but if you don't do that, you also know that you're going to lose the company. So yeah, that's really difficult. Um, and that's also when, um, well, depending on the investors you have, but uh, in our case, yeah, they were there for us in the good times, but they were also there for us uh, when times got really rough at the beginning of COVID. And I think that's, um, that's a really good sign if you can have that kind of relationship with your investors. Uh, of course, they also ask us, hey, what is the plan going to be in this new situation? You come up with new plans. Uh, but then, yeah, you're in it together. So what are you yeah. going to do? Yeah, I think the point of, um, I guess, the investment side of it kind of forcing you to step back and think about what you're doing and where you're going. It's, it's almost like a lot of people who maybe investment isn't for them, but they need something to force them to still do the things that an, an investor would make them do. Really that, that would really benefit the business from having those kind of thoughts rather than it's it's so easy to get stuck in the you know the weeds of the day-to-day -day and just kind of yeah trying to get the next customer or trying to send someone on a trip or something like that but having in some way sort of artificially prompting yourself to sit back and uh, I don't know there's yeah I've heard people talk about kind of off-sites that they do you know they go away somewhere absolutely out of the ordinary yeah. to go and be like right I'm just going to think for that do you, do you have any tips for kind of bigger thinking uh, to go about that outside of yeah like investor invest investor prompted things yeah so i think you already mentioned it uh, offsides um those help but also for me personally if i go out for a, a run or a long bike ride for instance that's a really good way to clear your memory and i remember a couple of years ago i did this uh, training for skill ups um super intense and then at some point, training was um, uh, at a location close to the beach in the Netherlands. Uh, we got a new assignment. And it was super simple. Uh, the assignment was um, walk on the beach on your own. You can go left, you can go right. doesn't really matter. And walk for at least two hours. Uh, and we all felt like, hey, we are so productive today. And we're doing a lot of stuff. Uh, and we had like, I don't know, 14 presentations all from experts, really insightful. And then this felt like, okay, now we're slowing down to a crawl. What is this? A two hour walk. And I remember the first 30 minutes I was thinking about everything I learned that day. I was thinking about the business. I was thinking about questions that I saw on Slack and in my email. And then around the one hour mark, I noticed like, okay, that's, that's a little bit out of my system. Uh, I'll solve that tomorrow. Uh, and of course, the goal of that long walk was to make sure that you can really zoom out and that you don't uh, stay stuck in all those daily little things 
but that you can zoom out a little bit and think about what really is the big picture. And to be honest, yeah, you know that it's good for you, but you always take uh, too little time to actually do it because every day is uh, busy, right? I think a lot of listeners, they will recognize this. Uh, it's uh, 10 p.m. in the evening and you feel like, okay, there's just three, four more things that I would like to finish <laughs> today. Um, and then tomorrow there's a new day, your whole calendar is filled. And when exactly are you going to find that moment to really zoom out and think about, okay, this is what I'm going to do next week or maybe next month, but what do you want to do next year or even the year after? Um, so long story short, what I've learned is you just need to allocate time to that. Uh, so with your management team, uh, just scheduling an offsite, I don't think that is going to work. It's, it's a fun experience. Uh, you talk for a day and you have a nice dinner and maybe some drinks. Uh, it's also good for bonding, um, but it's not always super productive in terms of the output. So I would recommend prepare it really well. So it can be super simple. You just tell people, try to come up with one or two big ideas. Maybe they are not feasible today, but just try to make a case for it. Um, so you can share it beforehand so people can comment on each other's ideas. And then you use that offsite uh, or it can be a day in the office, but then you use that time to really go into detail um, and look at all those ideas. Um, and I think that's a really good way to make sure that you can, for one, zoom out. And number two, also make sure that you do that in a productive way, that it's not like a three-day brainstorm without any conclusions. Yeah, love it, love it. it the uh, I... Yeah, I'm a big advocate for getting out. I think, again, like the pandemic's kind of prompted more people to be going out for walks and, and things like that. And I think, yeah, the to your point of it takes a little while to almost kind of decompress from the, That's it. the, the yep. little things. But if you push on through that and you stay out in that space, wherever it is. Um, that's when you start to feel the you know the bigger the bigger thinking happening. And actually, for us, it was I, it was on a long run when I came up with the one hundred percent give give profit giving concept that we're that we're you know we're going to, um, and it was exactly that. It was I'd been running for you know forty minutes something like that, and I was out in the middle of nowhere. There was no one near me, and then suddenly like yeah, you start thinking, all oh, right, is that possible? Or no, that's not possible. We can't do that. And you know. It, it, all these things start to just fall, like seemingly yeah. just fall into your and, head. And so. that's a great example, right? Because that's not something that would be the most logical next step. Maybe you would think about scaling faster or even getting outside capital to do that. Uh, but you made a really, really radical and different decision. And I think that's something that only happens if you really allow yourself to indeed take some time off and to also accept that some ideas can be wild ideas and they feel really far-fetched. Um, but yeah, usually those are also the great ideas that can yeah. really make a difference. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, that so that idea for us is kind of really honed in on the mission side of things, which you mentioned a bit earlier. And, and you've got a pretty clear mission of connect people with cultures by breaking yep. down barriers between travelers and, and locals worldwide. How how does that having that kind of real top level mission sort of 
trickle down into the business? Do you have a sort of a set of values underneath that? Do you, how, how, how does it sort of all fall down from there? Yeah, good question. So that mission that has always been part of with locals. Um, so yeah, travel, it's a really big market. There are lots of companies that are offering tours and activities in many different ways. Uh, but our starting point was really, how can we connect the traveler directly to a local guide, even if that person is not a professional tour guide. And the whole idea, of course, is that if there is uh, a chef from a restaurant in Barcelona and you do a food tour with this chef, uh, yes, he is not a professional tour guide, uh, but for sure he's going to be able to tell you a lot about the food in Barcelona and he can bring you to places that you would never ever find yourself. Um, so... I guess if you look at a lot of cities, uh, Amsterdam, Barcelona, London as well, there are a lot of tourists um, who see lots of highlights of the city, but they never talk to a person who really lives there. And that's okay because, yeah, it's, it's your own choice and you can travel the way you want. Um, but sometimes people don't realize how valuable it can be to get that local perspective um, so like you said, connecting people and cultures, that's always been the backbone, that's our mission. Um, but from there, we also had to think about what does that really mean for us? So what do we care about as a company internally towards uh, our local guides, the hosts, as we call them? So we did a session with a team to come up with, also started as a brainstorm, like uh, if you think about with locals, what are for you the most important values? And then you get like, whiteboards filled with all kinds of content uh, and after that you try to see can we maybe cluster that a little bit can we bring it together so in our case uh, one thing that kept coming back was passion so being passionate about something and i remember the first time i heard about it i was like ah uh, it's like this yeah what do we really mean with it and a lot of lots of companies are saying we are so passionate about what we do but then I dived into the details and I could really see why people are so passionate. And it's about many things. It's about giving our hosts a fair income uh, because, yeah, especially in some parts of the world, it's not easy. Uh, and being a host can really make a difference from having no job or a job with not enough income to having a fair income. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's an important element. Um, it's also about... We have so many challenges, like all companies, of course, but yeah, how are you going to approach those challenges? And if you really feel like we can do this together, that's also when you need passion. Um, and I think the final one is, um, I really believe that our hosts, our team, but also our guests, the travelers, they all share passions, right? So if you are really into food, maybe you like my example about the chef in Barcelona, and you feel like, oh yeah, I can't wait to go to Barcelona and actually do that tour with a chef. But maybe one of your friends is into architecture. And if he is going to do a similar tour, but then with an architect, you have a really different vibe and you can talk about the uh, about Gaudi and all the famous um, landmarks in Barcelona. So yeah. similar concept, really different experience and passion is really the key element. So that's one. And then we said, Authentic is also really important because um, a bus tour with 50 people, um, 
that's just not with locals. Again, there's nothing wrong with it, but it doesn't fit into our concept of more personalized traveling. Personalized for me means you want to do this for a small group, for just you and your friends, maybe you and your family. So that was a really conscious decision. Uh, so we want to keep it authentic. Um, and knowing those values, that also helps you when you have some difficult decisions to make. So in a lot of cities, we have off the beaten track tours. But at some point, they were so popular that we had multiple groups waiting to start their off the beaten track tour. Yeah. Well, you can imagine that's nice. Yeah, that's suddenly it feels like, hmm, maybe now we are becoming this big tour operator. Yeah. Uh, can we really call this off the beaten track? So you have to think about, yeah, what does authentic really mean to us? Uh, also, when it comes to, I don't know, in, uh, in the Middle East, for instance, you can go quad racing in the desert. But is that really in line with our values and how we care about sustainability? Um, there are lots of places where you can visit uh, animals. Sometimes some sanctuaries are really good, but some of them are, let's say, pretty commercial. Uh, if you want to be authentic, should you really go there? So we said, no, we should not go there. Uh, so a lot of tours have been scrapped from the list because they don't meet that uh, value. Um, and the last one, and I think that's really the most important one for us, uh, is connecting. And connecting, I think that's relevant for us on so many levels, the connection between the guest and the host. How can we do that as, as well as possible? But also internally, I think there is always some competition, of course. But in the end, you also want to have a team where people really want to help each other. And uh, how can you help yourself, your colleagues, uh, when it comes to personal development. And I think connecting is a, a great way for everybody to understand this is what we care about. So passionate, authentic, and connecting, those three values really come from the mission of connecting people and cultures. Um, and yeah, from there, you're going to make it more specific, but you have this guidance for everything that you do, whether it's HR, external communication, you can basically look at a wall. Oh yes, connecting people and cultures. And those are the values that are important to us. Yeah, like it. And and yeah, the, I guess the biggest, most important part of that is then that people live by it. And that, you know, you gave a few examples there of, yeah, we've come up with these things and they're not just to put on it as a nice Instagram post on the wall or something, you know, something like that. It's, you, you have to follow through and then use those as the guide. And the more that you do that, the more effective they come in obviously the rest of the team kind of going back to that because uh, you know I absolutely a, yep. lot, a lot of the time people come up with these things and they are just sort of they just come up with a list off you know from nowhere and then none of the none of the decisions in the business are then guided by that and it loses its it loses its value pretty quickly if, uh, if it's yeah that way. really yeah. good point tom and yeah and if you talk about learnings i think that's also something that i personally had to learn uh, it's not enough to just have a team that is taking care of your uh, cultural values or a team that is taking care of sustainability. If you really want to make it work, uh, also goes for diversity, equity, inclusion. It needs to be embedded in everything you do. And that sounds easy, but when it comes to, well, sustainability, uh, if we create new tours, it needs to be part of a checklist. Because if it's an afterthought, 
then it's yeah it always comes last and then yeah. you're already too late to really make an impact uh, and i think that's one thing i had to learn if you really care about this it needs to become part of your daily routine and not just one team that once in a while is going to give a presentation because it's maybe nice for your external communication um like it's international women's day we all post a tweet about it uh post something on instagram uh, and then we're done for the rest of the year. That's yeah. not how it works. Yeah, agree, agree completely. Um, so you, uh, I've I've heard you say before that you know there was a point in this journey where you realised that business success comes down to people, and obviously that's what we're talking about here. Is you know these things that get put in place, but essentially it comes down to the people who are then living those those values so do you have any recommendations on how to build and maintain a like a happy well-functioning team um yeah million dollar question <laughs> uh, so i am definitely not going to claim that i do have all the answers here uh, this is for sure one of the areas where i'm also still learning uh, but i think a couple of takeaways from my own experience um, culture, I think that's really where it starts. So we talked about cultural values, but culture means like, um, can you have a really open organization where people feel safe, where they can share their opinion? Uh, it's okay to have a good discussion once in a while, as long as it doesn't translate into negativity. Um, that's something I remember from the past that some people were really outspoken um, that's okay, but it's not okay if it leads to a lot of negativity. And if outspoken means you're only going to moan and complain about things, then you're not really contributing to a solution. So you need to find this balance where um, there is space to share feedback from all sides. Uh, and then as management, as a CEO, you also need to make sure that you follow up on that feedback so you can get all the feedback in the world. But if it doesn't lead to any actions, nothing is going to happen. Um, also a mistake that I made sometimes, like, thanks for the feedback. And then I did not really respond like, and this is how we are going to use your feedback. Yeah. Um, so that brings me to communication. Uh, and we all know that it's important. But I think it's really hard to underestimate the importance of communication. Um, if you are not able to explain where you are going as a company, why you are uh, working on the current strategy, what the role is of people in that strategy, um, then it, everything becomes really hard because people feel isolated, like they're on a little island mm -hmm. um, and they just see their own work and they don't really understand how this fits into the bigger picture. Yeah, and that's on you to explain to them. Um, and do, you have any, do you have any recommendations on that front? Kind of, I guess, filling people in on that bigger picture. So we touched on the, yeah, people, you know, going out yourself and working out what the bigger picture is. Do you have anything as to how you then take that and communicate it to, to the wider team? Yeah, so um, like we do bi-weekly all-hands meetings where we discuss the important company updates. Uh, there's also space to ask questions. Um, the different teams, they do a short update. And the whole idea is that everybody knows this is what's going on. Uh, we talk about some accomplishments, about the plans that are ahead of us. 
Um, and that's where it starts. And then within the teams are uh, updates with um, less people, just the people from that team, for instance. Um, so that's really the communication side. But then at the same time, you need to make sure that you have a good radar because sometimes it's hard to bring up certain questions. Um, can be because it's very personal, can be because you feel like, hey, I have a very different opinion. And yeah, I can imagine that's not always an opinion that you're going to share with uh, the entire team in an all hands meeting. So make sure that you have a setup where people yeah, feel safe to voice that feedback. Um, and yeah, as I said, I think it's every time you feel like, yeah, maybe we are sharing too much. Um, my experience is that it's almost never too much. Uh, it's yeah. too much if you're going to focus too much on all the details. But the big picture, I think that's important and you need to continue to repeat that message. Yeah, yeah, nice. Um, I saw, in again, in my research when I was digging around for some of the stuff that you talked about, you, you said that silos are the biggest danger to any growing company. Like, can you tell us what you mean, what you mean by that and how, how to avoid it? Yeah, so that's something that um, we experienced um, even recently. So uh, when COVID struck, we had to make many, many changes. We talked about that a little bit. Um, but then uh, quite soon, we also realized um, yeah, travel is going to be non-existent for quite a while. So it's also a great opportunity for us to really reinvent ourselves and all the technology depth that we have like you build a platform you know that you have to fix some stuff but you always wait for tomorrow uh, and then at some point you have this pile of stuff that you still need to fix so we worked on that we worked on making things more scalable but we also worked on new initiatives like if we believe in our mission connecting people and cultures can we also do that online so not a tour in a city but a tour um via Google Meet or Zoom. Um, and um, that um, was pretty successful in the beginning. Uh, and we were targeting consumers, just like we would target consumers for a regular business. Um, at some point, we hit a glass ceiling and we found out uh, if we target companies, that's even better because they all have the same issue, right? Companies, they are afraid that they lose the connection with their employees. A lot of people are working remotely. Employees, um, maybe the commute, that's something they don't miss. They do miss the conversations at the coffee machine, the water cooler, um, just random chats. You bump into somebody in the hallway. Um, that's not going to happen with video meetings. You're not going to say, hey, let's schedule a three minute call uh, at 2 p.m. today to have a random chat about something. Yeah. Um, so we said, that's a good opportunity for us um, to find out can we also make um, can we also add value there and that worked pretty well but then talking about silos you have one team who's going to work on uh, the let's call them offline tours the b2c world and then there is another team that works on the b2b side selling online experiences to companies um, and that is still part of the same mission uh, but at some point you are so focused on that single topic in your team uh, that maybe you also lose the connection to some other employees. Um, so takeaway there is make sure that 
people continue to understand the big picture and why are we doing B2B and why are we targeting companies? Because it helps to bring in revenue that helps us on the other hand to build the best platform for when travel comes back. And if travel comes back, what locals will be ready and we're going to run out of that gate. Um, but if you don't explain that message um, or you hear about it, but you don't take any action, yeah, then people might feel like, hey, now suddenly it's like two little companies next to each other. It should yeah. not be two little companies. We are one company. Yeah, yeah. I love the, I love that switch that you made because it, it was definitely something, you know, obviously a lot of things just turned into virtual and there's that kind of sweeping umbrella of, oh yeah, let's go virtual. But uh, it's an interesting one now. It, you know, people were stuck in that oh let's do a quiz or let's do a video call and it did become yeah. very kind of you know kind of done and everyone was tired of it so having some different options there I remember just thinking back to our Christmas party and you think like what can we do here we don't just want to sit on a camera sort of making small talk we want something to do um, and it was hard to come up with with good things I might I might speak to you afterwards Matthias about, <laughs> about do, what, yeah, what you're doing there I, I might have some good ideas so yeah talk. yeah um, so and then, you know, equally, I think there's been this narrative of, oh, everyone's gone to the virtual world and we don't need offices anymore. And we don't need all of these different things because we can do it all online. But actually, my opinion and my feeling of this is that it's emphasized how important it is to be together Absolutely. and for people yeah. to come and do things. Um, because you know, exactly the reason you said you just miss out on all those kind of soft conversations that are not really about anything, but you just have because two people are in the same space at the same moment in time. I, I think that is being overlooked a little bit in the conversations. People are enjoying like jumping on sure. this. We can work remotely and we never, no one ever needs an office uh, where I think my take on it has been, yeah, kind of the opposite. Yeah, it's great. It provides some flexibility and we don't need to be in the office all the time, but we should have some time in the office so that you, you get that sense of kind of community and togetherness with the team. Agree. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's probably will be a hybrid setup, right? I think a lot of people love the flexibility. So maybe not five days a week going to the office, maybe two days, three days. Yeah. Um, but yeah, completely remote. It can work for some companies, but um, yeah, I think for a lot of people, it is important to have this direct social interaction. Yeah, yeah. What about what about when you're hiring, Matthias? Do you do you have a particular process for hiring? How do you go about finding people who you think will will be a good fit for the team? Um, so we haven't been doing a lot of hiring in the last couple of months <laughs> for obvious reasons. Um, but um, so it starts with uh, a good idea of uh, the role that you need to fill, uh, and again, that's something. Let's say that you have a commercial team. Um, it makes sense to find somebody with commercial skills, uh, but that's still pretty vague, right? Because what does it mean? And does this person need to sell to big companies, to small companies? Or do you need this person to set up Salesforce, come up with some good processes? So making sure to understand um, what exactly is a role and which skills do you need? Um, and then um, trying to make sure that you get really um, a wide array of candidates, I think that's also a big challenge. Uh, again, if you're um, here in the Netherlands, uh, at some point you know uh, the startup space pretty well, uh, but it also means you're always fishing in the same ocean uh, of talents. Um, 
And then if you talk about uh, diversity, inclusion, uh, how can you make sure that you also find uh, other talent that is maybe not directly part of your network? Uh, it can also be talent outside of the Netherlands. In our case, we do have a really international team. Um, so I think that's something that I would focus on even more moving forward, um, especially when working remotely, maybe not full-time, but it is an opportunity. Um, how can you find uh, people with the right skill set without always trying to look for uh, your, let's say, brother or sister, because those are the people in your network. I really believe that if you have a very diverse team, it also helps you to make better decisions. So that starts with hiring, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, and I think that's a point that gets lost as well, you know, when, when people are talking about diversity in, in their teams. It, a lot of people, it kind of gets talked about in a tick box kind of scenario. And it's like, oh, we, we need to do this. We need to hit a percentage of people. But actually, you should look at it from the perspective of exactly the things. Yeah, it's, it's better for the business. Like if you have a more diverse team, then you will get a more diverse set of ideas and, um, yeah, kind of the creativity that comes in as a result of people from different backgrounds. Yeah, yeah it, it makes your business better. It's forget about your your quota or your, you know, what things, targets that you need to hit for, for, for shareholders. Like it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to help your business and it's a good way to go about things. Yeah, absolutely. I think that whole checklist ID, of course, it's good to, to, to have some goals uh, to work towards. Uh, but what if you have this checklist? Uh, for instance, you want to have a certain percentage of people of color, but then all those people, they leave the company after two months because they, don't, uh, they really don't feel included. Yeah, then you are still uh, not um, doing what you should do, in my opinion, uh, because you failed to build this inclusive culture. So yeah. it's way more than a checklist. And also speaking forward locals, yeah, they're still... Um, uh, lots of improvements that we can also do as a company but I think realizing that you want to make a difference and then also having a plan how you can take care of that that's super important otherwise yeah it's 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 like sustainability and greenwashing you say that you are um, uh, doing something good you do that once a year uh, and then you're all set that's just not how it works yeah yeah absolutely absolutely um, so Let's talk about the marketing side of things a little bit more. So I guess from when you came on board with locals, are there any particularly effective marketing strategies that have worked really well for you? Anything on the other side of the coin that has been not very effective and hasn't worked at all? Can you share some of your experiences on, on that side of things? Yeah. So I already had this background in data and technology, uh, but I was really lucky that uh, with locals, already had a team with marketing people um, who understood and still understand that market really, really well, especially when it comes to search engine marketing. It's so easy to spend a lot of money without a decent return. Uh, so in our case, we have this really uh, method, uh, the methodological, nice words, approach. Uh, we follow a specific methodology uh, to make sure that um, for every keyword or a combination of keywords, we know exactly this is what we can pay to make sure that uh, at the end of the ride, this is still profitable for us. 
Right. But then doing that in a scalable way across 65 cities, uh, across a multitude of keywords, uh, targeting the right audience, at some point it becomes pretty complicated. Uh, so you need people who understand those systems. They need uh, to know how they work, how they need to work with uh, uh, how to do keyword research, how to set up strategies in Google AdWords, how to use technology to make sure that it's also manageable. Um, and that's something that we already had in place. And I think also one of the success factors of with locals. Um, so if you look at this whole tours and activities market, especially marketplaces, business models like with locals, is really a graveyard. There are so many companies who tried to make this work and they all failed. And the reason they failed, in my opinion, is not because of supply. So all of them were able to find good tour guides, come up with great tours and activities. But the demand side, that is super difficult. So how are you going to scale demand if your brand is not TripAdvisor or Airbnb, for instance? Yeah. Um, and that means you have to be smart. So I think that part we did really well and that also helped us when we uh, went out to raise money i think the other part is also about building a brand and what do you care about and how do you make sure to send out the right message and that's something we learned over the years um it's hard to measure right like yeah there are some ways to measure brand uplift and brand recognitions always expensive research but it's, it's not as direct as you can track Google AdWords, for instance. Yeah. Uh, so maybe that's also the reason that we struggled a little bit with that in the beginning. How, how have you gone about that, Matthijs? How, how have you gone about building, building the brand? Any particular things that have worked well? Um, so except uh, from talking to some very expensive agencies, um, getting a lot of different perspectives, in the end, it's about... Uh, the same question, right? What do you care about as a company and where do you want to make a difference? So super simple example, um, probably the uh, Wayback Machine, the internet website where you can see previous version also of the With Locals website uh, will show you a, a really blue With Locals website uh, with a different logo. Um, to be honest, I don't even know where the blue was coming from, but that was our color. Uh, but then we started to think about <laughs> okay, we want to connect people and cultures and we uh, dived into uh, personas, target audiences. We were like, okay, blue, maybe that's it's maybe a little bit too analytical, a bit distant. Is that really the best color for with locals? Um, so you have all these discussions and then we did a full rebranding, new logo, new colors, really big project. Um, but that was an important step. Um, I think the mission, the values we talked about, that was really important because it also helps to shape your external communication. Um, and then the last one is just thinking about um, what is the message that we want to bring across? So you choose a couple of themes, sustainability, travel in general, the connection with the locals, for instance, um, maybe diversity. And from there, you plan your content. Uh, on your own website, uh, on external channels. Um, so I guess not a super detailed recipe, like this is how you need to do it, but start with the basics, like understand what you want to achieve, which channels would, would be the best to take care of that, and then go from there. Yeah, I think a lot of people 
sort of make the mistake of thinking that the color of their logo or yeah what their website looks like is their brand and like you said at the end there it's very much like the underlying things it goes back to the mission and all of that stuff like all that stuff plays into the team the outward look to the world and what and what you are and that's exactly what, that's kind yep. of what makes your makes what your brand is and yeah whether it's sustainability connecting all those kind of things are that's what that's really what the brand is whether you're pink or blue or orange or, or whatever color yeah um so yeah you know i think that's again that's often a challenge I th- you know this ties kind of then flows into your marketing from then on because your marketing becomes a lot easier if you have a very clear concept of what your brand is and I think that's often a challenge we have when when people come to us is that they are just the same as everyone else and they don't they haven't done that sort of diligence of thinking what are we and what do we offer and what are we about and if you don't have that then trying to sell that to other people suddenly becomes an awful lot harder so it's definitely a worthwhile process like you say not everyone can afford the ex- the expensive input of outside agencies and things, but yeah. I think even just spending some time where you sit down, I'm sure if you googled, you know how to how to define your brand or something like that, you would get a fair few decent frameworks that you could work from and questions you could ask yourself to you know to try and define that as a you know as a very first step because I think your marketing then all benefits off the back of that if you have a clear yep. picture. Um, so, do, you, do you, are there any other kind of businesses uh i don't know people causes that that inspire you and and what what you're doing with the locals um so in terms of courses uh one that i really like is called reforge um, and it's really geared towards uh, product management so i believe products that's really what defines you as a company and of course you need technology to build that product and you need marketing uh, to bring in customers uh, and hosts in our case uh, but product is really what shapes your uh, strategy um, and reforts uh, has been started by people with a lot of expertise uh, from silicon valley uh, they recently got a big investment from andreessen horowitz one of their partners is also involved in the program and for me it really feels like um, the new style of uh, education and learning. So you will see short videos, only five minutes. You will get some questions. Uh, There will be um, sessions that you do together with a group of people. There is a forum uh, to ask follow-up questions. Um, So yeah, I think that's one of the examples that really stands out. There are so many options out there in terms of courses and, and many of them are valuable, of course. This is one, uh, for me at least, and for a lot of my colleagues, that has really added a lot of value. And I think that's in the end what you're looking for. Um, And then there's also, um, it's not really a course, but what we discussed before, reach out to other people because some people have so much experience. uh, You don't even need to follow a course. They can also tell you it and they will tell you like the, the real version not a version on paper and that can yeah, also yeah. be very helpful yeah yeah absolutely absolutely um so to t- we'll sort of start bringing it to a to a close with ice um if you were to speak to someone who was starting a, a travel business or was very early in the days of starting their travel business uh what advice would you give them what would you say are the biggest lessons you've learned from from your experience so if you so 
let's say that you and I, this afternoon, we're going to think about a new company. I think there are a lot of ways to approach this, right? We can think of some really big moonshot ideas, like uh, maybe we want to do tours and activities on Mars. Uh, for sure, a really big idea, but maybe not really feasible in the next couple of years. Uh, but I think many times that's exactly what's happening. People are going to look for this really, really big idea. And yes, we've all seen these examples from Airbnb, Slack, Google. Uh, they came from two people and suddenly it's a multi-billion dollar company. Uh, but of course, those are the exceptions. Um, so my advice would be, um, in this case for the travel markets, there's such a big opportunity to do things in a different way, especially now with COVID, a lot of the default things have changed and probably some things have changed for good. So try to look at the existing markets um, and don't necessarily try to look for entirely new things, but can you look at this market through a different lens? And if you can find something that other companies did not find, or maybe they they are looking at uh, through their own old school lens. I think that's where I would start. Um, not going for uh, a breakthrough ID. If you have it, it's great. And if you believe in it, just go for it. I think then you're very lucky uh, and you just need to uh, run with it. But if you don't have that ID, um, everybody has problems, right? Go to a random company and ask them, do you sometimes have a problem in your business? Well, the first company that says yes, I still have to meet them. Uh, or no, I mean. So, of course, everybody has problems. So, and what exactly is a problem? And what could be a solution? And so, by talking to other companies, understanding the market more, and seeing this opportunity that might already be there for a long time, but you are the first one to look at that through a different lens, I think that is where you should start. And that's also how you can make a big impact. Yeah, like it, this, the, yeah, I think that's, a, again, like a, probably a misconception that holds a lot of people back is the feeling that they have to come up with some big new idea, like they have to come up with the real, you know, what is the new thing that doesn't exist? And there's so many opportunities out there to do a variation on something that exists or just do a better version of something else that exists. And um, to what you were saying, like just taking that first step that's you know that's what I always say to people is just take the first little step in the direction of what you're going to do you don't have to quit your job and go and you know decide I'm an entrepreneur and that yeah here we go it's like you can sort of do a little side project or you know kind of get something started test it on one company and see if it works and uh yeah yeah a, a good points and, and uh, maybe the most important thing that I forgot just start because um following our example from uh, the two of us starting a new company. We can talk about this for 12 months and every month the idea gets a little bit better. Uh, but then if you don't have validation from the market, you don't have validation from customers, uh, maybe you've just spent 12 months of your life thinking about an idea instead of building it, getting feedback. You know, I remember um, a training I once did in, uh, in Tel Aviv, also for startups. Uh, and they compared the way that uh, Israelis would uh, attack a certain problem uh, and they compared it to the US way of doing it. And the example was, can you build a machine that is going to peel a banana? And they said, well, if we, 
the Israelis would build it. It would probably cost us a couple of days. And then in the end, uh, we will give you a machine that can peel a banana. And yes, the banana is also gone in the process. Uh, but we did what we promised. It's a peeled banana. Yeah. And in the US, they take two years. And then finally, they have this shiny machine. It peels the banana. The banana is perfectly fine. But then people are like, yeah, but I needed that banana two years ago. <laughs> and now it's two years later. I want an apple, for instance. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's a really nice example, which shows you just have to start. And yes, the first iteration will be crappy and you get a lot of criticism. But then you learn from that and you build the next version and it's a little bit better. And that's how you iterate and that's how you build a great product. Yeah, love it, love it. Matthijs, it's been great. I've loved it. That's so many interesting Likewise, little nuggets uh, in there. Really, really fun. Um, I'd love to do it again, again sometime because I've only kind of covered off half my notes here and scribbled more things down <laughs> whilst I've been doing it. Um, so thank you very much. Is is there anything else you'd like to share with with people before yeah before we bring it to a close? Well, I hope that uh, at some point uh, in the future, we can all start traveling again. Uh, feel free to uh, check out with locals. It would be great to uh, also let the listeners uh, get that through with locals experience. And the very last thing is uh, big compliments uh, to you, Tom, for your uh, uh, not-for-profit initiative. I think it's a really, really great idea. Uh, and thanks, uh, you're making that happen. Thank you. Hey, appreciate it. Listen, it's, you know... Like we said, it's about taking that step, and uh, you know, one of the things I found of doing that was the like the accountability side of it. I just started telling people once I decided we were going to do it. I just I just started telling people, and there's been you know obviously kind of a, a run up of time for us to work out how we were going to structure it and all the details within it. But I made sure that once I decided we're doing this, that I I told plenty of people, so it felt like I can't you can't go back on it. You can't sort of then shy away. It's like, no, we're doing, we're doing this now. Um, and yeah, listen, I'm excited about it. It comes, but you know, again, ties in with the things we're saying about the brand and what you're there for. And they were, yep. you know, they were the questions that I, you know, kind of pandemic prompted with, with us. And, uh, yeah, like I say, that's what the long, the long run, the space in my head kind of gave me the, gave me the opportunity to, you know, for ideas like that to come into my head. So listen, I'm really excited nice about it. Um, so yeah, thanks, thanks so much for coming on. Um, as I say, I'm probably going to you, you up about the, the team building stuff and see if there's something we can do with, with locals on that as well to find out a little bit more. Um, where's, where's, where can we find you then? Is the best place to the website? What, tell us the URL of the website. And yeah, else if you go to uh, teams.withlocals.com, you will find all the experiences there. Some really nice ones. Uh, and it's all about engagement. So it's not about watching Netflix or YouTube you will also be part of the action. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Okay, so everyone have a, have a listen to that. Go and have a, go and have a look at With Locals. There's lots of, lots of cool stuff going on there. Um, and yeah, thank you. thank you again, Matthijs. It's been lovely to talk to you. Really appreciate your time. Thanks, Tom. Cheers. Take care. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening, everyone. What a lovely guy Matthijs is, and I'm sure you'll agree his insight is right up there with the best on the topics that we covered. Let me know what your favourite bits were on the various social channels or in the reviews on iTunes. You can find With Locals at withlocals.com, where you'll also find links to their various social channels.
I'd also highly recommend going to teams.withlocals.com if you're a business owner, as they have some really cool options for team building activities, which are relevant now more than ever as the world moves to a more remote working environment. Obviously, I mentioned in the episode that I've got to do that. And uh, yeah, it's something I've spoken to since with Matthijs uh, and yeah, excited to do some stuff with our team on that front. You can go to seotravel.co.uk forward slash Matthijs Kai for all the show notes. And the spelling of that is M-A-T-T-H-I-J-S hyphen K-E-I-J. You'll also find links to the various things that Matthijs mentioned on that page too. And you can also watch the video of the conversation there or visit seotravel.co.uk forward slash podcast for other episodes that we've recorded where you can get lots of other insight too. If you're a travel company looking for marketing support from people who really care about your success, then please do get in touch at seotravel.co.uk and we'd love to hear from you. You can also read more about our 100% project there, which outlines how we give all the profit that we make from the business to educational charities, both at home and around the world. We'd love your support in spreading words so we can help those charities as much as possible. If you enjoyed the show, it'd be fantastic if you could review the show on iTunes and share there what your favourite bits were. Subscribe to it and it would be amazing if you could share it with at least one person you know who you think could benefit from the episode and the insight that Matthijs offered. I'd love to hear from you and find out what you enjoyed so that we can continue to bring more content like this your way that you find entertaining and helpful. My email is tom, T-O-M, at seotravel.co.uk and I'd love to hear from you. We've got more fantastic guests coming up, so stay tuned for future episodes. And when you subscribe, you'll get notified whenever we release a new episode, so you can be one step ahead of the game. Otherwise, thanks so much for listening, and until next time, happy travels.